All right, welcome back, Crossing Broadcast. I'm your host, Kyle Scott, joined at Crossing Broad, would be my Twitter handle, joined, as always, by Russell Joy, at Joy on Broad, and no Adam today. He is away uh, with work in North Carolina and bashing glass bottles over him and his co-workers' heads. Did you see this video, Russ? I saw it. I don't think that was him, but uh, that was, was that, he him. said he said the people that uh, he worked with are, cra- are crazy, so... Uh... It's interesting. So Lefko is is out hanging with people who like to bash bottles over each other's heads, and he is missing out on having a conversation with two guys that go to bed by like 9 p.m. So uh, I think this kind of is a, a further example of, of how different the lives we lead are. Is this the guy, he's down there interviewing some Instagram superstar, is this the guy now, in now, that video, the, or is these now, just idiots he works with? Th- these are just guys he works with. So the the guy that he's interviewing, I I jokingly kind of uh, said the the guy's name after Adam did, and then I remembered that like I think I actually recognize who this guy is. He's got long hair, and he's always like got two giant barbells of of weights, no dumbbells. Uh, yeah. You can tell I don't go to the gym, and he, uh, I like I go to the gym like maybe like once or twice a year, mm-hmm. uh, like two weeks at a time. Just and I feel I feel membership. no 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 like I no I I use my work gym. Are you kidding me? And um. It's great because, you know, do two weeks and, and feel really good about stuff. Just like how I was tracking my uh, my health on uh, the uh, Samsung Health app to, to check caloric intake. Fantastic. I'm not a vegan like apparently Jaleel Okafor is, but that was uh, a little bit of breaking news that we had last night. Jaleel Okafor, uh, in a uh, an article written by Tom Moore said that he's been trying to go vegan, which is really difficult. He's cheated a few times, but he's doing his best to stay with it. But that's not the biggest takeaway from that article, ladies and gentlemen, no. It's the fact that Jaleel Okafor, a guy who had shin splints in the fall of 2015, who had meniscus surgery that ended both his rookie season and complications from it ended his sophomore season for the Philadelphia 76ers, is not clear for five-on-five scrimmaging. Tell me if you've heard this before. We have a big man on this team who had a meniscus surgery. Now, this was from over a year ago, who was not clear for five-on-five. Five. Um, I I think at this point, the Sixers' doctor narrative has, has written itself. It's been uh, absolutely beaten to death. But the sad thing is that it, it just continues to get worse. And whether or not you like Jaleel Okafor, uh, which I'm guessing most people are Nokafors and not Prokafors, um, it is still unbelievably alarming that he's not cleared for five on five. All right, so let's talk about this. Um, I don't. It doesn't sound like this is just overreaction because it specifically mentions knee soreness. Um, I don't know if this is the sort of thing where you could say, well, the surgery was bad, or maybe he just has degenerative knee problems there's a million things that could be going on here uh i always am amazed that when if if i tweet about the sixers doctors someone will respond with something like you just said which is hey this is a played out narrative find something else and it seems to be people are tired of talking about it which is understandable i'm tired of it being a thing and none of us have been in there with the sixers medical team or know exactly what they're about. I have had people who used to work for the team say that they don't know what they're doing 
And I've had someone else say, no, they're one of the best in the game, and it's unfair they're treated this way. So it's really hard to, to definitively say. But what we can do is take a step back and look at a team. Like Okafor started out as what? Shin splints or a calf strain? Like yep. something pretty benign, and it turned into a meniscus tear 15, 16 months ago, and he's still having soreness in the same knee. I'm worried. I'd be worried. Like to me, that is more of an, an indictment on the medical staff than Embiid not being clear for five on five because I just think that's the Sixers being overly cautious. But there continually are injuries that are misdiagnosed. Someone was giving me shit the other day about Embiid's bone bruise that turned into a meniscus tear that turned into surgery that turned into him still not being cleared for five on five. And he's like, "Well, it was a bone bruise at first. And like, actually, I'm not so sure that it was. They called it a bone bruise because they didn't. There's nothing you can. I don't think they. In, no, like, remember they didn't originally call it a bone bruise. He was the one who broke to the press that it was a bone bruise. They they made it sound like it it might have just been a small thing. I'm gonna go back and, and pull that quote. It was called whatever whoever said it. It was it was publicly said to be a bone bruise, and whether Embiid was lying or. I, I, which I doubt. I suspect whatever he was told is, is what he said, if that was the case. Um, but obviously, it turned into a meniscus tear. So it, it, it's a little odd. Like this is a, this is a, a recurring problem with the medical staff, and with like it's beyond the point of randomness. I get that you can't prevent a guy from breaking a leg or something like that, but, and it's not that they're getting hurt in the first place. It's that they're getting hurt, and then they have trouble bouncing back. And they, and when, they when don't I diagnose see, it properly. Yeah. Right. And when I sit, well, I don't know if they don't diagnose it or they don't rehab it properly or they rehab it too aggressively. Like, I don't know what they are doing. But when I see Ben Simmons still on the floor putting up shots in flip-flops or barefoot, like which happened again this summer, and I retweeted it and made a joke, and people are like, oh, he's fine. He, w- he wouldn't be doing it if he wasn't clear. Like, in no, in no circumstance should any professional athlete or a basketball player be out on the court and not wearing basketball sneakers. Like there's just so many things that could go wrong. He could goof around with a guy for a split second and reach for a rebound and roll his ankle. Like if I'm a trainer on the Phillies, I never, or Sixers, I would never let somebody on the court without sneakers, especially if they're coming off foot surgery. It's just, it's kind of remarkable. Uh, So I don't know, but yeah, Okafor still hurt, which I guess the only downside is, is that uh, it'll be harder to trade him if he's hurt. And they're not, uh, they're not trading him. By the way, the I, I think the only positive that I took out of that article is that he said he's excited for this year. He said that he thought about what it would be like to be traded because there were so many rumors, but that his his coaches and his teammates kept him sane. And in and in this entire summer we've we've I think kind of bought into this narrative that, you know, Okafor is this forgotten guy. And he's not included when, when like, the Simmons and the Embiid's of the world are retweeting stuff about feds and there's no mention of Okafor. But if nothing else, I kind of take a little bit of a positive from the fact that they haven't, like, turned their back. If, if you don't support the guy publicly as, like, part of, of, like, the feds nickname, then whatever. Like, I don't care. But the fact that behind the scenes, it sounds like they are still trying to embrace the guy and, and be a good teammates is, is positive to me. So uh, the, the... to me, I wonder if like I know you don't really particularly want him around. I've always said I'd be 
pretty happy, if not thrilled, to have someone like Okafor coming off the bench. I know he's a liability defensively, but if you could even clean him up a little bit there and get him to buy in and be okay in that role, he has plenty of offensibility, offensive ability where I think it makes sense for him to be coming off the bench. I mean, that is a good that is a good scoring big man coming I don't, off the bench. I don't hate Jaleel. I just I I don't think that he fits really any with any part of what they're doing. He doesn't fit their system. He doesn't fit up tempo. He has uh he's demonstrated an inability to play the 4. He doesn't defend the rim as a 5. Like, yeah, as a low post scorer, fantastic, lovely. And he might be able to play with Amir Johnson. If if Amir plays the four, like maybe that works. Maybe that helps to to create space for him down low. I don't know, but um, this is a lot of time talking about Jaleel Okafor. I do want to point out sure. that a kid at this camp, uh, there were a thousand kids at the camp, the Sixers Camden youth basketball camp, and one of the kids, uh, and Jaleel admitted this, um, said that the the kid told him that his shot was messed up, which was just funny to me. That. <laughs> I thought you were going to remark on the video of Okafor lifting the kid up to dunk to dunk on him, and I was going to say, huh, you know, it's the same thing he does in games. Oh, man. Yeah, I couldn't think of a good punchline, so I just let it go on Twitter. All right, well. For good reasons. Hey, you watched fun. the Ocho, uh, ESPN The Ocho yesterday, and you were tweeting about it all day. Oh, my God. Uh, for those of us who had other things to do, how uh, was sitting around watching volleyball all day? Dude, ESPN ate The Ocho was maybe the best thing ESPN has done in a decade. And I'm not really though, or is or no, is it no. like Sharknado where you're no, like, oh, no, no, that no. was so ridiculous. This it was, was cool. so much better. Like there were sports going on that I want to see in the Olympics. I don't think they're in it, but man, I I was so in love with with what they were doing. So let me let me do a little bit of a recap. Real so, quick side note on the Olympics. Just noticed this this morning. My wife's watching the news downstairs. NBC already has the Olympic rings on their uh, clock bug in the bottom right. We are six months out. And they are, I don't know, are they going to live there? Are they going to have Olympic rings on the screen for six months? I'm blown away by this. Go ahead. I just want to point out the fact that everybody, it's like NBC, everybody knows that you have the Olympics. Everybody knows that you spent an ungodly amount of money and overpaid to have the Olympics. whoop de freaking do At least it'll give Mike Tirico a job to do for your network because you vastly underuse him. So that's, oh, that's well, great. He gets golf. He gets Sunday night intro. He, he's actually Sunday night okay, intro. Right? The guy was, was maybe the best play by play. All right, whatever. I, I, I like Mike Tirico a lot. I, thought, I agree. I like I like Mike, Mike, well. Mike Tirico as, as the play by play guy. I mean, I love Al Michaels, so I, I don't have an issue there, but like if, if but the Sunday... British Open has moved over, I believe, to NBC. So he got to do that, which is something he used to do at ESPN. A lot of these guys really like doing golf, and I get the sense that's the case with Tariko. He gets to do. He's going to get to do Olympic stuff. He gets to do Sunday night intro. It's not. Uh, he's actually hoping, been out in I'd, front of more than I thought he would. I'm hoping that he might be the uh, the NBC face of the Olympics. He replaces Bob Costas. That would be fine with me. He is. Uh, oh, really? The, All right. Well, then. Yeah, that makes, like eight months fine. ago. Or after after last summer's Olympics, they had the big on air handoff. Oh, see, um, I didn't. I don't know how I missed that, but all right, good. Yeah, yeah. All right, well done, NBC. Well done. Yeah. So, here's what happened. I've been saying so a lot. I apologize to all of those. Uh, have a sip of your coffee every time I say it, since we can't hear a Bleacher Report or Sims and Lepko. Oops, <gasps> sip, sip. Um. So ESPN ate the Ocho. Cornhole was a thing. They called it, I think, the tournament or the championship of bags. And I retweeted a video of these two guys just being way too intense about this game of cornhole. 
that was uh that was pretty good yesterday my six month old woke up at like 4 a.m i was ready to to yank my hair out and i remembered as he was freaking out went in to like try to put him back down i got him to settle and then i was like all right there's no guarantee that he won't go to sleep and stay asleep so i pulled up espn 8 the ocho and it was the sky zone uh trampoline dodgeball championship and it was really funny i mean i i got a real kick out of it and then i fell back asleep for a little bit woke up to the child screaming again went in put him back down went back to to espn 8 and it was the fireman challenge 25 these firemen are carrying these like giant hoses up multiple flights of of stairs yanking up a, a giant weight running back down they pass off a baton like the most intense relay race of all time somebody's like dragging another hose blowing the water through this open door i mean it it was it was a lot more entertaining than i expected to it to be then there was this game that i totally the strong man that they used to have i I, I, I used to be so disappointed when that would come on it was such a letdown from you'd be watching like a premium live playoff sporting event and they'd be like all right and now we'll send it to this pre-recorded video shot in the canadian wilderness of guys you've never heard of lifting logs i think that this thing was fun to watch for like 10 minutes at a time because it ended up being the same thing over and over now i missed uh, i missed out i missed out on a sport called sipic to raw tech raw which is essentially like if you are watching volleyball sort of that's that's done with bicycle kicks it's like this combination of soccer and volleyball it looks like the the size of the court and the the height of it are somewhere around like maybe more like badminton than than actual volleyball but if you haven't seen it i retweeted it it, it is something worth watching. And then not only did they have this Sepik Tech Raw, this, this like bicycle kicking it over the top of the net, they then converted that into this giant game of darts. Where it was a, this, I saw a header it was, it ping was like, pong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so this, this, this like bicycle kick game became this like 25 foot dart board. That was intense. Okay. And All then, right. yes, uh, there was table <laughs> tennis, table tennis, ping pong, whatever you want to call it. All right, I'm done with, with this. With heading. Because... It was awesome. It was uh, awesome. See, uh, now I'm too much of a cynic. I don't know. This sounds like like for a one I'm all, day. I'm for, all for, for one day a year. I, I'm I'm a fan. If every August eighth okay. they do ESPN eight the Ocho, that's fine. We've talked about how there is nothing to watch in sports right now. This was I wouldn't compare these sports to our mainstream sports, of course. including Kabaddi, that tag game. Okay, but here's Ugh. the thing: these are these are glorified gym games. Like if you're converting volleyball into soccer into darts, like th- these aren't sports they're they're novelty games and it's fine if you want to put it on here's why those things those things aren't unlike a lot of olympic events and why they're not i guess for the masses at least in america don't appeal the way our other sports do because they are so repetitive like you mentioned it especially things where people are going for measurements or time trials and the the difference between the first and 10th place guy is a half a second so, like, if you watch someone, like, the skiing you could watch because there's so many variables going down a mountain. But most of these events you're describing, uh, at least some of them, especially the fireman thing, you said it was repetitive and it's a time trial and they're all, they all more or less can do the things. The question is how fast can they do them? But, like, there's a lot of Olympic sports like this and you could watch them for a couple of weeks in the summer or the winter every few years. But ultimately, if they were on every night, it would just look like the same thing over and over again. Like, yeah, well, I'm not like, exactly uh, advocating that they start to to mainstream. No, I get, I get what you're sports. saying. I'm just saying, like, it, it was fun for a day. I, I totally get. It. I, I know. I'm, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but like, some, take something like the luge, right? I like watching the luge. 
uh, every four winters. But every, you're basically just looking for the guy to fall and wrap himself around a pole. Like, let's be honest. Right, now, who's the cynic? That's, the, that is it's just, a snuff film. The luge is a snuff film. But regardless, if he doesn't get hurt, they all look the same. And all you're doing is staring at that clock to see if it's a little green and a minus sign. And it's really hard to watch after a while. That's why certain events lend themselves to more of the prime time things. Like swimming's different because uh, it's just it's really well marketed. But at the end of the day, like it's pretty much the same thing. Just people going back and forth in a pool. Track and field's kind of the same. NASCAR, that's why like NASCAR's the same way. I, I know. Formula One's why, the same way. I agree. I agree. Like, and that's why I think you know home run derby is the same thing. Like nah, home right, run derby is right. a little different, but agreed. It's same guys idea. hitting a ball. It's guys hitting a ball over a fence. But I, I mean, think if, Americans if wanted, have been exposed yeah. to things like football and basketball where there's so much variability on every play three that, point shootout i mean yeah, I, I that's i guess you know i get it and that's why make, these things the aren't a lot of these things are yeah okay but like you know if you look at the olympics like why is figure skating in the prime time because like there are di- there are different things happening every time people are falling there's personality um you know the women's gymnastics like you know even then like you could clearly see who's better than someone else, stuff like that. So I don't know. You also have to remember in the case of like women's gymnastics and such that a lot of this has to do with the sports that we watch are, are catered to the American audience. If you go abroad during the Olympics, the, the things that make the prime time slot in Germany might not be the same thing as, as they are in the U S just hundred percent. And these are the things that our country typically does the best with. So those are the ones that are highlighted. But if like the decathlon were something that we had top athletes in consistently, then maybe that would become something that would be, you know, a a primetime slot. But I I get hundred percent. And, and NBC is often criticized for over favoring a handful of sports and casting aside everything else. But like, if you go to, the Nordic countries, it's all skiing and ski jumping and all that stuff. Like they, uh, they recognize ski jumpers out on the street. And part of that is because what they're good at and their weather and stuff. But part of it is also they're not exposed to some of the other sports. So like to them, that is huge. But if you seriously fed them a diet of NBA games, they'd probably be like, oh, shit, this is, this is way more entertaining than, than, than Sven jumping off a, a cliff. Uh, anyway. All right, well. Uh, oh, so, guess, so you were on ESPN. Yeah, uh, there was a there was a good article. Well, there was news yesterday that ESPN and Bob Iger broke this news, which was interesting. Disney released disappointing earnings yet again yesterday, and their stock went down. I think four percent in after hours trading. Bob Iger, who's the CEO of Disney, which owns ESPN, obviously uh, announced. I guess right before the earnings, which was smart, so he could uh, so he could sort of news dump on his poor shitty earnings performance. The impending launch, it's going to come out in 2018, of a Disney slash, or in addition to, ESPN streaming service. So there's actually going to be two, and they're going to beef up their... Why don't you describe it? Because you... All right. Yeah. So here, here's the deal. By the way, if you're listening and, and you don't care about this media topic, we'll be getting to some equal stuff and a little bit more Sixer stuff later. Um, this is a good so, one, though. Uh, it, this is this is a good one. I'm just letting letting the fine people of the of the area know. So this ESPN thing, um, Disney is they they used an opt out that they had to pull all of their their movies, their Pixar stuff off of Netflix, which was like a that was a big deal in in its own sphere. So if you've been watching Moana with your kids, get ready to go behind a paywall in 2018 or 2019. So what's happening is watch the balls off cars this weekend. I've never right. seen cars. Oh, um, my, my kid is just running around, like just 
car. Every time there's a car on the screen, he says the word car. Like it must, he must. Well, say I mean, that's that's good. Well, look yeah. that. you're teaching him something. Well done. He's he's very smart. Um, the the concept of this is that they're they're going to be launching this ESPN video streaming service in early 2018. I think the the opt out that they have with Netflix starts in 2019. So the, these things are going to be done at, at different rollouts. But the ESPN video streaming service. Uh, is said to include about 10,000 sporting events each year with content from MLB, MLS, Collegiate Sports, Tennis Grand Slam, but the biggest takeaway here for me was NHL. Now, they haven't outlined what that's going to look like. Um, Disney had originally purchased uh, 33% of this company, BamTech, and what they ended up doing was was buying majority share for $1.58 billion. And what it looks like this is going to do is it's going to bring hockey back in at least a little bit into their platform. So they're going to have these um, these services available. I think it's NHL.TV, MLB.TV, and I think MLS Live. Those are all going to be things that are going to be part of this app. And the thing that I was talking to Kyle before we started recording was it, it kind of sounds a little bit to me like the conversation we had a few weeks ago about NBC Sports kind of putting up this paywall about NBC Sports Gold, which is kind of where the the British the English Premier League is going to kind of go live instead of all these free things that they've had. And a question I think that that has been raised and probably will continue to be raised is what does this mean for you know watch ESPN, ESPN three? Because whether you realize it or not, there are a lot of free events, both collegiate and professional, of of varied sports that you currently have access for for free. And I guess the thought is that this is going to all go behind that paywall. Now the NHL well, you don't get them for free. You get them if you have. I mean, a if you have a cable, per- yeah, if yeah. You get, I, yeah, I get that. Um, that, that. I guess that's worth pointing out. Um, the NHL thing is interesting. Like, ESPN has rights in in some capacity for for MLS and obviously for the other sports I mentioned. But all right, let me let me stop. Hockey... Wait, let me stop you while you're on the hockey thing because I think okay. I know where you're going. The way you're describing it and the way I read it sounds like so at a high level. Real quick, what ESPN is trying to do is they they've long existed by being a part of the bundle we've talked about this for seven dollars a month from every cable subscriber in America basically and that is why they became so huge because your grandma who doesn't watch sports but if she got cable was still paying them uh, that's a problem now because people are cutting the cord people are never getting cable and therefore there's a lot of people who either don't want ESPN or maybe do want it but don't want to pay separately for it are just not giving ESPN money. And that has been hurting Disney stock. ESPN has lost over 13 million subscribers over the last few years. They were up to around 100 million. So there are, I think it, the, the net is like they're around down 15% in subscribers, which is a lot of money when you do uh, that times $7 a month per times 13 million people. It's a lot of money. And that's why you've seen a lot of people laid off. And that's why there's a real problem in sports because they don't know if the next time sports rights come up in 2021, the NFL and then the NBA thereafter, if ESPN and other networks will be able to bid as much because they don't have a good cash flow. Uh, what they're trying to do is get remove themselves from the bundle equation. ESPN has been very good about being a part of bundles with things like PlayStation View, YouTube TV. I think DirecTV Now, Sling TV, all the new streaming packages ESPN has pretty much been a part of because they realized, hey, we could keep getting our money if we're included in all these bundles. Uh, and it sounds like they're still getting the same $7 a month from all those bundles, bundles which is interesting because those bundles are cheaper, which means 25% of those bundle fees may be going to ESPN in some cases or 20%, whatever. Um, 
ESPN, I think, has realized, and this is something we've talked about, I've written about, is that they're just going to do it themselves. They're going to offer up an app, both from a sports and non-sports standpoint. So they're going to take their Disney and Pixar films and potentially Star Wars, it sounds like they're unsure on this, and create an app for their own product. And people can, I guess, pay to subscribe to the app, like a Netflix Lite with only Disney stuff. And it's possible that they might not get as many people. They might, they might, you know, let's say they get 10 subscribers, I'm just using an easy number here, to their Disney app. But they were getting 100 subscribers, you know, there's 100 Netflix subscribers who are paying a little bit for the rights to have Moana on Netflix. Well, Disney may have calculated that 10 subscribers directly to them is worth more than just being a part of Netflix and having Netflix pay them a rights deal. The same thing, they're doing the same thing with sports. So they're going to take a lot of sports that they they already have rights for and are already on TV. And if you have cable credentials, you'll be able to watch them in the ESPN app, pretty much like you already are. But in addition to that, they're going to strike partnership deals and host other sporting events. And they specifically mention esports, tennis, soccer, more global games. It seems to be there's a push towards more global games because you're no longer bound by the broadcast restrictions of a certain area. So all those sports are less provincial than our traditional four sports. Additionally, like you said, they're partnering with BAM, which is a company that was founded by 30 Major League Baseball teams equally owned for the purpose of MLB TV and e-commerce stuff. Since then, they have grown to be the leader in streaming technology, and they handle, I think, NCAA March Madness on Demand. I want to say they had HBO Now for a time. I could be wrong on that. And they also have NHL Game Center, at least. There, there may be some other sports mixed in there. So I think what you're trying to say is ESPN has bought a higher stake in that company. They now own 42% of BAM, and potentially they can take some of the sports BAM broadcasts, like those additional MLB games, every single MLB game, every single hockey game, and combine that in their platform and give people an a la carte choice to buy those specific sports, or even, it sounds like, portions of games so you can go into the espn app and if there's a game that's about to happen or happening and you want to pop in you might be able to make like a 99 cent micro payment to buy that game there's that a, is crazy not in a, a bad way it's just it's nuts that we've hit this point it's an interesting little tidbit that i found in a in another article but um apparently nhl network was taken over or, or they were they agreed to be managed by BAM Tech in 2015. So I'm, I'm wondering what kind of integration that's going to look like. If if maybe as part of the streaming app, NHL Network is just going to be included, or if they're going to kind of do like an MLB whip around sort of sort of thing where, where it's almost like Red Zone, where maybe it just becomes a, a nightly highlight thing, and that's like part of the the channel, that that's a, a package thing that, that's available live, and then maybe they just allow that to be kind of like on-demand content every day. It'll be interesting to see because, like I think said, you're focusing it's, it's... too much on the channel portion and not enough on the fact that NHL Game Center broadcast, they are the host for every NHL game streaming. Like, that is the that is the NFL package, that is the MLB TV, that is what NHL Game Center is. So I think what what ESPN is saying here is like, hey, we own 42% of this company that that is the streaming provider for the Hockey League Pass. Why don't we figure out a deal that makes sense for everybody and put that into our app so people, rather than subscribing for 120 bucks a year or whatever it costs, 
can pay a dollar to watch an out-of-market game that they might really want to see. Um, I think that's what they're saying with the hockey stuff. It's going to be interesting. I'll be excited to see what, what some of these more detailed plans look like whenever they come out. So let me, uh, I got my, here's my sermony thing on this. I think we're reaching a spot in media and that's, that is everything from the written word to ESPN and what we just talked about with ESPN and Disney stuff where the old here, this is the old model in media for most of these things, including broadcast television. You put on an event and that event can be a well-written article or a, NBA conference finals game you put on an event you try and get it in front of as many people as humanly possible and then you figure out how to make money off that audience most of the time the answer to that question has been and this is the same for app startups this is why there are you know Silicon Valley was just throwing billions and hundreds of millions of dollars at apps that hadn't made a dime yet but had a hundred million active users because the model has been get enough people and you could figure out how to make money with advertising. Well, we've hit, we talk about term bubble a lot. We've hit a bubble in that field now because there is only so many places that companies, the big brands who fuel a significant portion of the advertising, the Fortune 500 companies and so on, want to spend their money. And it used to be that they would spend their money on TV, the radio, and print. And that's about it. Those were their only options. And then the internet came along, and they may have done a little bit here and there, but it was a drop in the bucket to what they were doing elsewhere. Most of the eyeballs were were concentrated in newspapers, TV, and major radio stations. That has completely changed. The eyeballs are everywhere now. So if you are a big business, you have to, if you want to hit everybody, you got to go through a hundreds and thousands of platforms and verticals to hit everybody and it's really not sustainable and what you're seeing is ultimately the advertising money still rolls up to the big guys google and facebook pretty much account for essentially all of internet advertising everybody else is a, is a complete afterthought and you're and as people are cutting the cord it's also becoming more difficult to just advertise on one program and hit a lot of people because you're not getting the you know the major league uh, the World Series used to get like 80 million viewers, whatever it is. Now it's down to like 30. So it, it's just not like there's not these appointment events. That's why the Super Bowl is still expensive because it's one of the few remaining appointment viewing events in existence. So you're seeing all these companies decide, huh, okay, well, we had these things that were previously huge. And our model was show it to as many people as possible for free and make advertising money on top of that. Or in the case of ESPN, cable subscriber revenue. Now it's the opposite where... People, uh, companies, whether, again, it's the written word down to like a local sports blog level or a major TV network or a sports league, it's not about showing your product to as many people as possible. It's about showing it to people who really want to pay for it. And that is what we're going to see with ESPN. And we've talked about this. If you really want to watch certain sports, you'll be able to get them on ESPN, no doubt. But you're no longer in many cases, going to just be able to pay your cable bill and assume that you'll have access to that stuff. You might have to pay a premium for, quote-unquote, ESPN. If you're not a cable subscriber, I wouldn't be shocked if that subscription is 15 or $20 per month. Or if you want to watch an individual game, it's $1.99 for the game. 
And then if all of a sudden, if you watch five games throughout the course of a month, you're already paying more than you were paying in your ESPN subscription. And that is a huge change in both the business model and from the consumer slash viewer standpoint. Things you used to get for free or for nominal hidden costs are going to start costing you because it is tough to make money in advertising on a lot of those things. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of push towards the subscription-based online media model with sites out there and people like Bodner going behind a paywall. It makes a lot more sense and is actually a, a, a much better business model to have 10 people paying you rather than 100 people getting stuff for free and you trying to figure out the way you can hit them with as many ads as possible. So I think this is just part of a larger shift in all sorts of media where people are realizing, companies, people, content creators are realizing that rather than show it to as many people as possible, let's just show it to the people who want to pay for it and you're going to have to pay a premium, a quote-unquote premium for it, whether that's $5 a month or $30 a month. And a lot of that is also contingent that that whatever site or whatever platform you know, decides to roll out something or, or has something in place that's a paywall, that they, they have names that people can recognize or they have people who you know, have, have established themselves as, as credible writers in their field. Huh, so what a novel concept. I know. Um, so spe- uh, I, I was trying to come up with a really smooth transition, and, and instead I'm just going to call it out. It's not, a, you know, it's not smooth at all. It's just a transition. Um, real quick, I know we talked about Nelson Aguilar and Jordan Matthews the other, I guess, on Monday. Uh, for many people, they might have gotten that Tuesday. Apologies. Um, the... The idea that Daniel Jeremiah had had proposed uh, that that we had talked about that Adam had really gone a little bit more in depth on um, about Nelson Aguilar becoming the slot receiver, I think got a, a little bit more fire um, yesterday. So Brandon Lee Gowton from Bleeding Green Nation, really good writer, um, he he had uh, taken the quotes from Frank Reich um, specifically about. If Jordan Matthews' spot was up for competition, which to which he said, every spot is up for competition. The way we roll things out is we're always looking for guys who make plays. So Nelson has had a real strong spring in camp. So the way we do it is kind of it's by play. Sometimes we'll switch guys up. He goes on to say a bunch of stuff, and it's it's all coach talk. But he says, so Jordan, we play to the players' strengths. The good thing is that we have some players who have strengths to play to, which. This idea of open competition is fine. Now, don't say that every spot is up for competition. We know that Nick Foles is not nipping at the heels of Carson Wentz. We know that Jason Peters and Lane Johnson are going to be starters. Like, I, I, I think that kind of goes without saying, but not every yeah. spot is up for competition. It's just coach coach speak and, and nonsense. Yeah. So then it, then it was asked about... Um, is anything different from last year when it seemed like Jordan was the slot guy? He goes on to say, I mean, I think right now the whole receiving room is more competitive. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit different. I mean, yeah, it is going to be different because you've got Elshon Jeffrey taking one of the spots on the outside. That's fair. Torrey Smith, you're hoping, is going to be the other outside receiver. That's fair. Um, then, then they go on to ask about Nelson a little bit more. And Frank Reich says that he thinks that Nelson has gotten over the hump. He had a great spring, a great training camp. He's effusive in his praise for Nelson Aguilar. And then when he's asked about Jordan Matthews being one of the most productive wide receivers in the first three years of his career, he says, well, I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know if it's going to be a reduced role or not. I think it's to be determined. Now, if it's me and I'm looking at this as a, a pretty neutral fan, I'm seeing effusive praise for Nelson Aguilar. 
and I'm looking at a coach kind of side-shifting and, and kind of hedging against the question about Jordan Matthews being a productive wide receiver. Now, I don't know if it's a contract thing. I don't know if it's because they really have fallen out of love with Jordan Matthews or if they've been giving given this directive to make Nelson a, a legitimate player and to make him a legitimate threat because of where he was drafted and because he's cheaper and he's on a longer contract. These are things that we talked about, but I, I just wanted to point out that the day after we had this conversation on the podcast, we now have much more direct questions specifically about Nelson Aguilar and Jordan Matthews. And this this idea that Daniel Jeremiah had on his podcast really seems to be picking up a lot more steam. These questions weren't just generalities. They 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 were asked in a way that was looking to to put Frank Reich in a position to clearly define what he sees as this slot position or the slot receiver position being as of right now. And it certainly sounds like he is more in favor of a Nelson Aguilar slot receiver than, than Jordan Matthews. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on it or if if we don't want to really talk about it much, but no, I do uh, for sure. So, um, it seems this is, uh, there's no point in continuing to talk about the ridiculousness of, of them casting aside Matthews for Aguilar based on some, preseason whatever that that to me seems foolish unless there's something just so crazy about Matthews which uh, by all accounts he's he's a pretty hard worker Um, at least he would tweet videos at 6 a.m. which I know Adam would roll his eyes at he hates that sort of thing Uh, but if to me it feels like the Eagles have some sort of campaign here against Matthews there is some conjecture I guess that he is uh, milking sandbagging it a little because he has a little bit of knee soreness and he's coming up in a quote-unquote knee soreness and he's coming up in a contract year and he's maybe playing it a little too cautious in training camp so he doesn't get hurt. Uh, And this may be the Eagles' way of trying to scare him back, uh, you know, out of that, I guess, by saying, hey, hey, look at Nelson Aguilar. He's going to be the slot guy. And Reich saying things like this where it's very dismissive of Matthews. And Daniel Jeremiah used to work for the team, has a lot of contacts in the front office, had just visited the Eagles, as Adam pointed out last show, a few days earlier. And then for him to come out and say, oh, no, it sounds like Aguilar is going to be the guy. To me, that sounds like something the Eagles fed him, uh, wittingly or otherwise. And he has now reported it, and now it makes it out to be that Matthews is somehow in the doghouse and Aguilar is the golden child of the week. So maybe this is just all posturing on the Eagles' part to get Jordan Matthews out of whatever little thing that he's in and get him back to being serious and and not trying to protect himself in a contract year. Uh, or maybe it's them trying to, to get his asking price down. Like they, they might be leveraging the idea that if – if he's this really elite slot receiver that he's going to get paid exponentially more money than if, if he's you know a role player and they're kind of holding over him that they really control his destiny this year. And if it's not with them and it's with another team that you know he his market value is going to go down if he's just a role player instead of a you know a third wide receiver on the team. I don't know it. It's weird to me the the whole. The whole thing is strange, and it's not like Nelson Aguilar is a guy they just drafted this year who had high promise coming out of college. It's a guy that we've watched clank balls every every year. Two years. The ball, yeah, like it. Look, so, I want I want him to be successful. We we all want him to be successful. I I just it's not like you're hitching your wagon if you're the Eagles. You're hitching your wagon to somebody who's demonstrated an ability to be a reliable receiver for Carson Wentz. If if this were happening with like Trey Burton over having Brent Selleck 
or Trey Burton over Zach Ertz, then then maybe there's a, a little bit of sense to it because he's a, he's proven to be a little bit more of a reliable and explosive player. Like you might not like it because of the the names of of Ertz and Selleck and nostalgia and and you know Ertz having another breakout year or it's supposed to be his breakout year, but to hitch your wagon to Nelson Aguilar is just a little bit strange to me. Yeah, and this has gone beyond just beat writers saying, oh, Nelson Aguilar looks great in camp and into the Eagles seemingly becoming a part of this, which makes me think there's more to the story. Maybe there's not, but to me it feels like there's there's a little something else here and some extra motivation, and I will continue to be disappointed if if they were for to some reason completely cast aside Jordan Matthews or cut bait on him because I think in this offense, if Alshon Jeffrey's good, Wentz is by all accounts much improved, yada, 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 humana, humana, humana. Uh, Zach Ertz, again, looks consistent in training camp, whoop-de-doo. I think Jordan Matthews could be a really good slot receiver in the league and on this team, and it would be disappointing if the Eagles somehow crowbar their way out of this. Uh, I'm going to—I'll be honest. I, I see a scenario where Torrey Smith is a letdown. Yeah, and, and that's reasonable. And, and Nelson uses his speed and goes out to the outside, and Jordan Matthews is playing the slot, and everything's better. Fine. Because and and honestly, like it makes more sense. Jordan Matthews, I think, is has proven himself to be a better slot receiver than an outside receiver. He's not. He doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the the catch the ball at the highest point athleticism to to go up over a, a D back on the outside. Yeah. And and I think and he's inevitably big. He, he can yeah he can and, take a and hit. like Torrey Smith's a one year guy, right? So if if it doesn't work out with him, but you manage to get Nelson's head on straight and Jordan's still catching everything out of the slot or most things out of the slot, then like it all works out. Ultimately, we need Alshon to be great. And that's that that really is the number one issue with the receiving core this year. He needs to be healthy and he needs to be great. And then we're fine. The other thing with this is consider all the players of how he has got not all of them, but all the big names that he's gotten rid of since he retook over. And again, I get some of those were to make the wench trade, but DeMarco Murray, Byron Maxwell, Kiko Alonso, Eric Rowe. Now, there are different motivations for each of these guys, and I'm not saying each of the trades were, were bad, but Roseman has been eager to let go of guys, and I guess Jordan Matthews came in when Roseman was in charge the first time, right? I mean, he's been here long enough now. I think so. I'd have to do some math on that, but Roseman has been eager to get rid of when Roseman is. I'll say this. When Roseman is eager to get rid of a guy, um, it turns out that guy, at least over the last year and a half, has gone on to have a pretty darn good season. Um, and flip side on Howie Roseman is that many guys he has brought in throughout the course of his career that people have applauded initially have turned out to be huge letdowns. So Howie Roseman, as an evaluator of talent, scares me, and I would be worried if the Eagles somehow decided to cut their losses on Matthews and get what they can for him because I fear he would go on to become a pro ball slot receiver. I don't think that's out of the question. Um, no. Couple of couple of things here. Sixers jersey things. I got a correction. You claim I, I mentioned this last week. Uh, I'm not sure I ever it was did either it last week or, or the week before. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure that you clarified. If you didn't. Well, then. if I did not, I will apologize to the people. There was a show, I think it was like last Wednesday, where I said last Monday, the Eagles were going to release their new third jersey. Sixers. Sixers, Sixers thank you. Uh, we're going to release their new third jersey later that day. I misread a press release. The press release said they were going to release a third video, 
And that video just happened to be Markel Fultz unveiling his number 20, and it wasn't actually a third a new jersey in the video. So as of yet, they've still only unveiled two of their four jerseys. So I apologize. It was awkwardly worded, but I did misread it, and I mistweeted it, and that is my bad. It was a mistake. Uh, second thing about the jerseys, we pointed out on here about some of the piping issues around the shoulder and on the back around the shoulder blades where the piping around the armhole isn't continuous and it stops somewhere in the mid shoulder blade about halfway down the curve on the back and the jersey is kind of white for, uh, for the rest of the armhole in the back. That is not a Sixer specific thing. That is a Nike thing. In the I actually noticed this in the NBA 2K18 uh, preview video yesterday where they were showing some of the, the details they have in this year's game, which are predictably insane. They have stretch marks on guys' arms, which is just bananas. Um, that <laughs> That is like going to be the... Uh the butt sweat of this generation ah when, yeah when the uh the back on, like, sweat th- yeah 360 360 and uh and ps3 when when nba 2k was coming out there was like the game that had Shaq in the heat jersey on the mm-hmm. cover and Shaq had butt sweat like, it was like i lower, think this goes back, back even further i think this is like the xbox days when they introduced the sweat maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm no i think i think it was the the 360 i don't think they had sweat on uh on the 360s the xbox out now right no, Xbox One is the Oh, Xbox, Xbox One. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, yep, 360 then. Yeah, uh, hey, okay. Hey, gamer, gamer in uh in residency over here, so. Yeah, I'm a PlayStation guy. I'm a I've had an Xbox. Both I don't games. have an Xbox One. I have a PS4. That's Yeah. I, I made I made that switch off of Have you ever had Microsoft. an Xbox? Yeah, I had I a had, regular and listen, a 360 I'm gonna, for Listen, let me throw down the gauntlet. I've had a Sega Genesis, Saturn, a Dreamcast. I love the Dreamcast, but they they missed the mark. I had a what? PS2, a PS3, I have a PS4, a GameCube, N64. I might be missing something. Oh, I have a Wii. My one Wii of my U? buddies has. No, I the Wii U is the stupidest thing that it Nintendo's ever put out. The Wii U is an is an idiotic concept, but the Switch is interesting. I have friends who have the Switch. Uh, that is that is actually a, a decent system. Nobody wants to hear us talk about video games. If they oh, do, I they disagree. Can, they can, We're they can, forty-five no, minutes if, in. They if can people, spend two minutes on people, video games. Uh, Wait, real quick. The Wii U, the Wii, the Wii U is, is worth it for Mario no. Kart 8 alone, and literally my wife and I bought it for that reason a couple of years ago, and it's still in a box after we moved last year, so maybe no. you're right. Yeah, but the Wii, the, the there's Wii just Wii not that many games Nintendo, for it. The technology because the, is fine. Well, because it was dumb. Nintendo decided around, a, after the GameCube, Nintendo decided that they were going to go for the, the, the hardware and, and reinventing the way that you play games instead of the actual games that you play. The graphics never kept up. They always felt like they were a generation behind, and it's fine. The Switch is actually pretty interesting, and, and the Switch graphic-wise appears to be like pretty decent. It, it's definitely not the new versions of the the PS4 Pro or like the Xbox One, whatever it's called. They they have a 4K version of it now, but the Switch is the Switch is actually kind of cool. I would argue anyway. that graphics have gotten so good that the you get diminishing returns and that's not a pro like nba 2k 18 looks great but uh, quite honestly when you're playing the game you're still in that same 2k camera angle if you play vertical if you play horizontal you're a you're a monster and i don't want to hear from you Um, oh really do you you play with broadcast view yeah it all depends oh god why it's it's impossible like the depth is all different depending on which side of the court you're on it's tough to complete passes like i need my vertical view for video games if if you're not good at the game you need to play as good as the broadcast view looks anyway the vertical view to me when i'm playing the game and this isn't a knock on the game because it's a great game it feels the same as it did five years ago as it did 10 years ago like i feel like 
you, what you notice in the graphics diminishes when you're in that same view and you don't see as much of the arena and all that stuff. So my point is, I think there's diminishing return on graphics, and Nintendo has kind of banked on that and like they're going to focus on gameplay. Problem, they've had a games problem. I agree with you. The Switch looks impressive, and Zelda, by all accounts, is maybe the the greatest game ever made. Uh, and not that many, you know, it's, it just doesn't appeal to an older demographic. They go after a younger group, but. I agree, Switch is good. Anyway, I'm a PlayStation guy. Fun fact about the Dreamcast, the whole 2K series from Visual Concepts was Sorry. born on the Dreamcast yep. with the Allen Iverson Oh, I know, Allen Iverson games. Yep. That I was still terrific, have, that game. I still have 2K and 2K1, but the problem is, that, and this was like one of the ultimate, the ultimate downfall of the Dreamcast is it didn't have a DVD player and PS2 came out with one. Mm. But mm. The, the, the Dreamcast had this issue with many of their games that a scratch would somehow show up on your disc and it would render the disc totally unreadable. Or, like in the case of the original uh, Sonic Adventure game for Sega Dreamcast, it uh, um, some of the discs just straight up wouldn't read on specific systems. So, like, even if your game were broken now and you went onto eBay or something to, to buy another copy, there's no guarantee it would read, even if it was a perfectly sealed mint-conditioned version. Anyway, people don't care about our video game takes. If they do, please feel free to tweet at us. I'm sure that, that we will answer back. We were talking about Question, the Question, do you buy your video games at GameStop or on, do you download them? I don't buy them at GameStop. I usually what I'll usually do is, uh, and I don't buy games much anymore because we have two kids and we don't, I don't have time for it. But when I do, I typically find whatever's cheapest between like Target, Walmart, Best Buy, or Amazon, and I usually use price Amazon. match. I use I use price match against each other, and and that's what I do. Um, real so quick, you buy so the we, discs. I guess yeah, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I know. I know that the the download thing is is a thing. The problem with that is if it I go to, to if I if I if I go to a friend's house. I either have to, I guess, log in with my account and then download it to their system when I could just take the disc. I, I think Do you that still go still... to many friends' houses to play video games at this stage well, of if your I'm, life? If I'm, if I'm at a friend's house and we don't have the kids and my wife is with some of our other friends or she has the kids at her parents' house, uh, I, like it, it doesn't happen much, but when it does, it is nice to have a disc. Um, real quick, so Sixers. Um, I think I'd mentioned before that J.J. Reddick was on Alex Kennedy's podcast at, at some point, um, that's a guy from Hoops Hype. Just real quick, a couple of things that he had to say, um, and, and one that I think was new. I don't remember this having been said at at any point. We knew that J.J. Redick had been offered more money, but we had thought that it was a longer-term deal and more money from, like, the Minnesota Timberwolves. But in this interview, J.J. Redick revealed that now again this is total money this isn't likely a one-year deal even if it were 24 million dollars over two years it would have been more money than what the Sixers offered he claimed that Chris Paul was recruiting him to join him on the Rockets and said that Houston offered more total money than Philly did now again if that's two years at 12 million per for a total of 24 that would technically be more money but I was interested in the fact that JJ Redick decided to come to Philly and I I think he, in, in this interview, made it very clear that he expects to be a starter because he said that part of the, the reluctance to go to Houston was that uh, they have, I think it was, yeah, they have Eric Gordon. And he said that he and Eric Gordon do a lot of the same things, and he wasn't necessarily going to want to be at, at the point in his career, I guess, being this kind of bench guy or somebody who might be losing out minutes to a younger player in Eric Gordon. Um, I thought that part was interesting. And then he also said, and he said this before on his podcast, that he's hoping that this thing with the Sixers becomes a, long, a long-term a long thing. I think he's almost looking to get another three or four years 
and finish his career as a Sixer, which I'm fine with. I think it'll be I think it'll be great. I think this is a perfect opportunity this year, almost a proof of concept for both the player and the team to prove that that he fits in as a mentor and as a good player on this team. And the Sixers, I think, will likely try to extend him after this year at a reasonable cap hit that doesn't preclude them from pursuing a, a star in free agency this year or in twenty or this uh, upcoming year, twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. So uh yeah, I think part of the thing for Reddick, he talked about this. His wife wanted to be in Brooklyn. So if you can't be in Brooklyn, uh and obviously you're not with the Knicks, your next closest spot is the Sixers. I think that was a big part of it. And the other part of this is over the course of two years, he's going to get more money. I mean, assuming he is like still in the league now, all he has to do is exist in the league next year and he will get more than most likely more over two years in this structure that he's currently in by getting $24 million up front or $23 million, whatever it is, uh, than he would have from the Rockets. So I, th- I think those, I, like, I don't think there's much more to it than that. He's closer to home, and it's a better deal. And, you know, it doesn't seem like he's ring chasing. He claims he is, but he, clearly he's not, which is fine. Good, you know, good for him. He wants to be near his wife and kid. I, I don't blame him. Uh, it's respectable. It's the same thing that – it's the same reason that Carmelo had apparently – um, not wanted to to get traded too far away from New York because he wanted to be around his kid, but then well, you just do like Derrick Rose does and just leave in the middle of the season to go see him. Yeah, I guess I guess that's fair. Um, Can we talk about I just the Patriots want... airplane. Can I shit on yeah. them for a minute. Yeah, and then I have I have a really uh, strange ten second story to tell about something I just saw a headline of that I thought was interesting. Okay, uh, real quick. I don't know if people. I'm assuming people have seen this. Darren Ravel tweeted it because he is the press, uh, the the publicist for all of sports and sports businesses. The Patriots bought two airplanes and painted them in Patriots liver, livery and have their five Super Bowl trophies, Lombardi trophies, on the tail, which is super obnoxious. And they've run out of space, so I think this is uh, nature's way of saying that they are done winning. Um, I do I do not understand the finances of this. The airplanes, I guess they're used, and they're refitting uh, used Boeing 767s. Two of them. Ravel says they can cost up to $200 million new, up to $65 million used. Let's assume they're paying $50 million each for these. Apparently, it can cost about $4 million a year to charter flights. So you do the math on it. I guess over time, the planes, the planes eventually pay for themselves. But you're still talking about a ton of upkeep, where do you store them, that sort of thing. I'm just, I'm just kind of amazed at this because teams mostly charter flights almost exclusively, and it sounds like the Patriots may be the first team to truly, truly own a plane, or at least a new Boeing 767. I think there are some NBA teams that own their plane, but they're like much older models of planes that they've had for years. Typically. Like the Eagles, the Eagles are weird because they've had a partnership with U.S. Airways, which is now American, and yet they fly a Delta charter. Most of the Phillies teams fly a Delta charter, but there was there like literally was a U.S. Airways plane that was painted with Eagle stuff. I actually saw it on a tarmac once, but it's not. It wasn't their plane. They didn't own it. It wasn't even the plane they flew in. They just had a sponsorship agreement, and it was one. It was like the Shamu. Southwest plane. If it, it, it wasn't flying around a fucking whale, it was just it was just a promotional thing. The fact that the Patriots actually bought planes, two of them, and they're going to have to service them and maintain them and do God knows what with them on the 355 days a year that the team is not traveling. Like I don't know. I assume they lease it out for other people to charter. Uh, certainly not another sports team. The Falcons don't want to show up somewhere in a Patriots plane. 
Uh, I'm just really intrigued by this. It seems so odd. And the owners aren't going to fly it. Like, even if the owner, even if Kraft has his own plane or is used to chartering planes, he, he's not going to fly. You're not going to fly three people in a 767 across the country. It just, like, financially is, is deranged. So I, I don't know. I just think this is so goddamn obnoxious. The Patriots are obnoxious, and I hope they lose money in this endeavor because it's so goddamn. The, the president of the United States has two planes. There are two 747s that are designated to be Air Force One. The Patriots do not need two airplanes. So a football team of, that travels 10 times a year does not need two airplanes. Go fuck yourself. Speaking of obnoxious, I have two really quick stories of uh, two different sports just overreaching to the max. One thing is, and this, this came out a little bit earlier this week, we knew in the past that the NHL was not going to allow their players to go play in the Winter Olympics. We knew this. But we thought that there would be a potential that AHL players would be able to, to play in the Olympics. So if you had favorite phantoms that maybe you would have been able to watch them and support them came out this week that the nhl views any player considered on the nhl registry including players on ahl contracts they will also be banned from playing in the olympics i don't know if there's a league who has botched the potential of having more international recognition than the nhl it is the most idiotic short-sighted thing they could do it's like they don't want to have – I get that during the Winter Olympics when NHL players play that it typically takes the, the season you know, hostage for a little bit. They have to essentially stop play for, for the Olympics. I get it. I get that that might be a scheduling nightmare, but your players really do make up the best teams in the world, and it is something that's worth watching. Uh, so the NHL blows that because I guess they don't want to run the risk of injury and they don't want to totally ruin – the the flow of their season i think it's idiotic the other thing is uh we're going to call this segment umpires gone wild a few weeks ago uh angel hernandez uh challenged jay hap jay hap like i guess thought that he had struck out our pool holes or something and angel hernandez like puts both hands on his hips and comes out and like kind of gives him like the 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 wagon finger and the and the scolding well uh apparently joe west who i think a lot of people would recognize the name and uh another umpire he was uh, very quietly suspended three games by Major League Baseball because in an article for USA Today, uh, it was a, an article about Joe West having completed his 5,000th game as an umpire. There was one little section, I guess, where they asked who's the biggest complainer in, in baseball, and he said Adrian Beltre. He said that he's told Adrian Beltre before, you might be a great baseball player, but you're the worst umpire in the world. You stink. And apparently MLB got so upset with that that they suspended Joe West for three games saying that he he violated the perception of being an impartial umpire, which I just think is nonsensical to the max. So those are two really unrelated to Philly sports things that I just thought uh, people might kind of find interesting. The other thing about the Joe West story, there was another tale during his anniversary. I don't know if it was in the same article. John Smoltz talked about, I guess Joe West is a big country fan, and there's a specific song or group that he likes, and I can't remember what it is because country music blows. Uh, Whoa. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Comments. Uh-oh. Comments coming. It's uh, one thing when you And I say uh, this as a Jimmy Buffett fan who's like half the president, country. But now you're, now you're. Yeah. Whew. Uh-oh. Anyway, so long story short, uh, Smoltz learned early on that Joe West had a favorite song, and he would instruct the the PA people at Braves home games if he was pitching and West was behind the plate, which was probably frequent enough, uh, to play that song before the first inning while he was walking out to the mound 
And he said every time he would get out to the mound, he would look. And he said every game, Joe West would call – he would test a pitcher, and he would call an obvious strike a ball early in the game just to test how much the pitcher was going to give him guff that game. And and Smoltz said every pitcher knew this back in the day. I assume it might still be the case. And you just knew that Joe West is going to intentionally irritate you with a bad call early in the game just to gauge your demeanor, and you learned to shrug that off. He said, so I, my counter to this was having his favorite song played, and I would get out to the mound, and he would be tapping his foot and smiling and in a good mood, and it would give me an edge. So I, That's awesome. I like that. Um, on your hockey but, thing, yeah. the, I don't think that there has been a league in existence that has, that has just cannibalized their own product more than the NHL has over the last 15 years. I'm kind of amazed that Gary Bettman is still, I guess still has the support of the league owners. He, I, we'll see if he does when they end up in a lockout. He, which it's is not where they're heading. Yeah, it's not totally his fault that um, they were off ESPN. ESPN didn't want them, and then I think Bettman got the offer from the Versus Networks and ran to them and sort of told ESPN to you know go after themselves. That was a huge mistake. the The NHL not being on ESPN has hurt that game in so many ways. Uh, that it's kind of remarkable. Like those Gary Thorne finals events were as good as Doc Emmerich is. There's something. There was something about the games on ESPN and the promotional machine that ESPN had and still somewhat possesses that it was just a huge miss. Playing their all-star game, I remember I think it was like 2005 or 2006, they played their all-star game on a Tuesday night on Versus. Like, I, like, it just blows the mind. And then we talked about this with the finals. Because they didn't want to go up against the NHL, or no, their drafts, I'm sorry. I know the yeah, hockey draft yeah. isn't a big thing, but you can't hold it on a Friday night, the first Friday of summer. Like, if you want someone to watch your product, that is yep. one of the worst time slots you could possibly choose. It's like they, at every turn, they do things, you know, to save their nose despite their face, whatever the hell that they saying will, is. They, do they that. will certainly, they'll go into a lockout. We'll see if Gary Bettman survives. That, I think that's going to be an ugly one. I think it's going to be an uglier lockout than, than the last one they had. Um, By the way, really he, there is not a worse public speaker than Gary Bettman. When he goes to present an award, like, I know he knows he's bad at it and it's a thing to boo him, but he, I mean, he is like the penguin from Batman. I mean, he is offensive to the senses if when he comes he out is and the, If he is the penguin, then can I motion that Adam Silver looks like Batboy? And I don't mean like Batman Batboy. I mean, if you ever saw, I think it's called National Enquirer. Remember those uh, those mm-hmm. black and white tabloids that you find at the at the grocery store, mm-hmm. and there would always be that the that, one uh, Trump is like, using as the yeah, propaganda and, machines and now. No, I don't think that it's that one. But like, it would be this black and white thing. It would say Bat Boy found in, in New York City, and he's got like he's got like the giant ears and the bald head. Every time I look at Adam Silver, I think of Bat Boy. I, I wonder if anybody else ever has. That's what um, he wants you to think. He's so goddamn there, smart. He wants you to underestimate him. I ended up getting some uh, Twitter questions. I don't know if you want to hit them really quick. Let's hit them. Uh, on, on, our, on our way out here, because I think uh, we've gone a little bit long. But for those who are still here, let's reward them by answering their questions. Uh, give me one second. Okay. Uh, first one was from uh, Jeremy Blevins, who is a, a consistent listener. Who just asked about the depth chart? I think we hit that today. Uh, TJ Two Putts T- at TJ Smooth Zero asked about how about DC United's complete rebuild while our mediocre team, the Union, sits pat and stagnates. Today is the uh, deadline. It's the the last day of the secondary transfer window for MLS. The Union will be uh, very inactive, I would assume, today, unless they release like an El Sino or a Roland Alberg off into obscurity. 
in Europe, they are going to be awful. Oddly enough, uh, in current standings, they are only three points out of the playoffs somehow. They're, they have a game in hand on Columbus. I still don't expect them to make the playoffs. They would have to jump over Orlando City as well. Uh, that's that's as much as I'll talk about soccer, because I know Kyle will probably just hit uh, the stop button from recording. Um, somebody, uh, let's see, I don't know who this person is. I'm going to skip that one. Tim Farrow said... Eagles preseason game preview or more Adam Lefko stories, so you'll have to wait till Friday. Sorry, Tim. Um, he did one state of the media talk. I think we hit that today. That was good. Um, Connor, at Connor with a bunch of underscores after it, asked, honestly, what would it take to elevate the union into making Philly a five-sport town, uh. which I know is going to make Kyle really excited. He said, MLS Cup, continued success while Big Four stagnate. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The Union have, maybe more than any other team in this city, blown their opportunity to become relevant while the Phillies have been down. I think they've missed their window, and unless they're going to go splurge money on a legitimate striker or a legitimate number 10 for next year, they are going to continue to be garbage, which Uh, is sad, which is very, very sad to me. I will actually agree with you on that. I think they have missed an opportunity. I don't know. Here's the, the thing with the MLS. First of all, Philly is such a provincial town. Where it's, I know that the demographics and sediments are changing a little bit, but Philly's going to be Philly's going to be a really tough egg to crack. And outsiders in anything when they come into Philly, like the Athletic, uh, it's a tough egg to crack because you really need to understand the town to work here. You can't yep. just apply outside uh, metrics. A town like Seattle, uh, the MLS might work a little better. A town like LA, where where it's a little more transient. Philly's a tough egg to crack, and I think MLS needs to become more of a legitimate league before the union are positioned to take over a town. Now, I know they are moving in the right direction, and they are increasing in popularity, but they need to become... There's still a large number of people, and I think rightly, they're, they're in a way a minor league sport. They do not have the premium talent in their sport, and they are a long way off from getting some semblance of the premium talent in their sport. Soccer is well, never funny. going to be like the NBA or NHL where one league possesses all the talent. It's too much of a world game. You can argue that the at a different time, you know, some of the top 10 players in the world are playing in Germany and England and Spain and Italy. Mm-hmm. That None of those players are in the U.S. You need well, to get... it's interesting that you say that because here we go. LAFC, which is a the second team to go move into Los Angeles, they don't start playing, I think, till next year. They just acquired uh, Carlos Vela, who, who's been playing in La Liga, the Spanish league, for Real Sociedad. He's going to be going to L.A., uh, which is going to uh, – their manager is going to be Bob Bradley, who used to be the national team coach. I get what you're saying, though. Like, the, the, the David Villas of the world, who even Adam has talked about, um, and Adam, I, I don't think is much of a soccer fan. He said once before that he does follow, I think, Everton and the EPL. Um, they, they haven't gotten enough big names – or enough like they they I think the biggest issue that they have is internationally they've always been viewed as a retirement league, which is like where a Bastian Schweinsteiger comes in like he went to Chicago but he's made them a legitimate contender. But you're you're right. But right, it's a, a mi- on the world stage it is a minor it is a, a minor, minor league yeah. level and until you get there I don't think a town like Philly is really going to fully embrace it. Now that's not saying the Union can't be popular and that they d- haven't missed a huge opportunity if they were a top two or three team. In the MLS over these last few years, 
they would have gotten some buzz. At the very least, they yep. would have gotten and, casual fans to be like, hey, we can go see a competitive event, and it's it's a quality. I mean, they have put out such a shit product and been such a, yep. like, needlessly hostile to their players, to the fans' yep. organization, that it's super disappointing they haven't even attempted. They have, it was a few years ago when they were in the playoffs. It was like, hey. It was last year. Last year they were in the playoffs. No, nah, but, and like, the few years before that, like, like two or three years before 2011, I think, There was, was some the, momentum the there, and it was like they just shit all over it. Yeah, so their, their biggest issue... And, and this is the last thing we'll say before we, we get off this topic. So I think there are some other questions about not soccer, if anybody's still listening. Um, their biggest issue was they decided to go all in on this idea of revitalizing Chester. Harris Casino moved in. They were supposed to essentially, you know, recreate the waterfront. There were supposed to be a lot of businesses and other hotels that were supposed to go in in that area. And in, and as is the case in a lot of towns that are, are kind of in the crapper, they... Uh, they fell through. The plans did not come to fruition. City councils changed. I think the mayor changed, and none of it came to fruition. So now you've got Harris down there, and you've got Talent Energy Stadium, and and it's a shame because between that and you have to remember that team wasn't. It, they had a supporter section, the Sons of Ben, before they actually had a team, and there's a passionate fan base in Philadelphia. But they're also smart, and they don't want to go out and watch a trash product and be told that they're going to be competitive. I have many things to say about this, but I will not say them now. We'll save that for a, a slow day or maybe for never. But they, they missed an opportunity, and their, their owner's reluctance to spending money on legitimate players has hampered their ability to really get a strong foothold in, in the Philadelphia market. By the way, Talent Energy Stadium, I think, seats 16,000 or so. But it was built so that it could eventually be expanded, I think, to 35,000. They, they have the space for it, and I think the, the initial plans were to allow for expansion. If they were smart, they would spend money short-term to increase the likelihood of sellouts and to increase the likelihood of, of it being a, a, an actual thing to expand their stadium, but they've blown it. Um, there was another question that somebody had. Um, oh, somebody wants a, a Kyle Game of Thrones update. Okay, and uh, we talked about good. this, so I think it's uh, this was a question by Brian Sagner at BSS or BS Sagner. So I have finished uh, season one. I will warn people that I'm going to give a season one spoiler here. So if you no, don't. How dare on. you spoil? How I'm dare you? To warn, and we're, it's going to be the last thing in the show. So if you don't want to hear a season one spoiler, just stop the show right now. We'll give it a pause, and it's also going to mom- double as a moment of silence for Joel Embiid's knee and the entire bodies of the Sixers. Angelia Locafor's name. Moment of silence. Thank you. Adam would appreciate that. Um, Okay, so now if you're still here, uh, I have finished season one, and upon seeing a topless Khaleesi with three dragons on her shoulder is the moment I finally got this show. I was like, ah, yes, this is the appeal. Naked chicks and dragons. No. Well done. Well done. You had to be creepy. I'm not being creepy. That is the appeal of the show. Dragons are the appeal. uh, No, I will say this. So the show is, I'm liking the show. I just finished season one over the weekend. I had previously watched the first four episodes three times. Couldn't get past them. This time I was like, fuck it. I've seen enough. It's been two years since I've tried. I'll remember things i'm not watching those shows again because it's just going to piss me off because you know when you watch something a second time and there's a scene you don't like you're like oh I yeah sit through this so you have to sit through again yep started at, at show five continued through episode 10 so i watched five or six episodes i'm not good at math and uh 
I, I like it. Uh, I'm in. I once you kind of learn the characters and who's who, it makes it a lot it easier, a lot which more. is understandably part of the problem with the beginning because it is so off-putting and hard to get into. Once you kind of know what's going on and really appreciate the sentimentalities of the characters and all that, uh, I like it and I will continue watching it. I don't think I don't feel as emotionally connected to it as I do with certain other shows. You will. I might. You, oh, I'm I'm telling you that. Wait until season two and three. You will. You'll find yourself emotionally attached. And, like when Ned Stark had his head cut off, I wanted to Spoiler. be. Spoiler. No, nope, no, nope, you're still here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I wanted to care about that, I wanted. To, I felt for the daughters, but I wasn't like, you know, if someone had come in and killed Walter White in like this the second season, I think I would have, you know, cried and held vigil in my living room, but. You know, I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, there's Ned Stark's head. Um, My best friend's dad loved that show, and upon Ned Stark losing his head, he never watched another episode. And I've told him what a fool he is, and, and my, my best friend is, is just disgusted with his dad about it. And I posted something one day about, about Game of Thrones, and his dad commented, and I said, you're a fraud. Don't ever comment about this show. I do so, yeah. feel well, I and I actually do feel like that my critique, and I know they're just, I guess, keeping true to the books on a lot of these things. No, but, they're not. Okay, they are not. They are they're, not at all. They just <laughs> they they around. I think season three is when George R. R. Martin the uh, uh, author bu- 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 No season three. I'm not no, there I'm, yet. No, Please. no, I'm not. I'm saying George R. R. Martin oh, God. was was a, a an executive pro- uh, no an executive producer and a writer on the show. Here it comes. And around that time, he stopped, and so the showrunners. Uh, Oh God! What are their names? Uh, DB Weiss and is it Jack Benny? No, Benny Hoff. No. Doesn't matter. They the, Benny Hoff. Doesn't matter. Th- those guys or no, Dan and Dave. Does Dan not matter. Dave. I don't Go. know. What I was thinking. All right. So those two, they um, they ended up kind of going off on their own tangents. And George R. R. Martin has said that certain things have happened in the show that will not happen in the books. Certain people are alive in the show who are oh, not boy. in the books, and vice versa. I didn't spoil anything. I'm just telling you that if if, well, if now we're being I know honest, someone dies in the show. Someone dies. Are you, are you, this, is, this is why I don't like – because people will give away – Dude, if you seriously watch that show and after a season you're like, oh, nobody's ever going to die again. We're we're all going to make it to the wizard. We're all, we're off to see the wizard but when and no one's going to die. people talk about future seasons, like, no. here's what someone will inadvertently do. When they, and You didn't just do this. But if someone is talking about a show and you're like, I haven't seen the next season. And they're like, okay, I won't say anything. And then they'll turn to someone else in the room and they'll be like, yeah, I mean, but like Carrie's, you know, I'm just throwing out a name from Homeland. Like Carrie's really good in that. And you'll be like, God damn it. Like there is a oh, yeah, scene or like, or in the or previous season where you, say, oh, you think you get, could die. Did you get to Ned dying yet? And you're like, no, I'm on episode four. No. And so that's like, the, no, I know. No, but not even that. Like they'll mention the existence yeah. of someone and you're like, God damn oh, okay. it. Like yeah. that person could have been a character to be killed off. And now I know that they survive whatever trials and tribulations. Uh, okay. That's fair. It's the same thing. Like you look at someone's IMDB page. You're like, oh God, they're in season five. Well, I know that. I, know I that hate that. That happens. Yeah. That happens to me a lot. When I start a show and I pull up the IMDB and I see they're on for five seasons and then like season one, there's, there's a moment that you think they're getting, I got you. That's why I never um, do it. But really? hold on. So. End of season one, like I thought it was good. I was I was in otherwise. I knew that there was the existence of dragons because you can't exist in this world and on the internet and not have seen trailers and images and stuff. And I've seen images of dragons, so I knew at some point we were getting there. But again, when this when the cliffhanger for the season is is you know the hot young blonde topless with three dragons on her shoulder, um, like I I I do get the mass appeal of the show now. It is hard to top that in, in the annals of television. Um. Last thing. So uh, this is something you retweeted before, and I thought it was it was a cute moment to end on. 
this guy, the goo, at gooey1024, uh, tweeted a picture at you of, it looks like his small child, probably like just over a year old, standing with a little sippy cup and a trust the process shirt or onesie or something that has to do your heart some good. I need to get some swag for my kids. I think that that's something I have to, I have to work out with your wife. Yeah, she she swag set out. she is the shirt person. You can get in touch with her, and she will handle it. I would I will happily volunteer. But here's what will happen: This happened to multiple people. They'll be like, "Hey, I want a shirt." I'm like, "Dude, absolutely, I'll get you one. Just send me what size you are." Then they and you know how my communication skills. Uh, they will send me the size, and then three months later, they'll be like. Hey man, I don't like need to be a pest, but like, hey, did, just in case it got lost in the mail, did you ever send me that shirt? And I'll be like, ah, oh, fuck, like I forgot, and it's nothing more than me being an idiot. So just talk to Dana; she's way more organized than I am. All right. Uh, anyway, and with th- that, what's that? And but yes, you can. Oh, get some ones by the way, we have not had any new iTunes reviews or ratings since I think Adam read the uh, the emoji written uh, one from August fourth. So if you're listening at this point and you haven't written uh an itunes review or apple podcast review or whatever they call it now if you're listening an hour and probably 15 minutes into this podcast or so if if our timer is to be trusted uh and you haven't written a review just the timer you you really need to write one because i don't know if i would listen to us for an hour 15 no i would i'm probably going to later but if you haven't written a review yet i think it's time so borrow somebody's laptop borrow somebody's apple computer and get a review written on iTunes. Leave a five-star review, even if you hate us. That helps us get a little bit more uh, visibility on the iTunes store and uh, increases the likelihood that your review will even be seen, even if you hate me or Kyle or Adam. But I don't know why you would hate any of us. We're We're all all lovely people. All right, so that'll wrap. Uh, We will see you guys on Friday where we will be recapping the Eagles' first preseason game and making sweeping conclusions based on likely one series of starters. Uh, I do hope Jordan Matthews takes a – I guess he's not going to play, right? Um, Let's take a a wager. We're not – we won't actually put money on it, but who has more catches? Assuming that both guys play, who starts at slot receiver and who has more catches? Aguilar will have more catches because – one, uh, Jordan Matthews, even if he plays, he's going to get a series. Aguilar is the sort of guy that I have a feeling they will keep out there for the whole first quarter because they really want to test to see what's going on in training camp. I could be wrong on that. I suspect okay. Ag- Aguilar may Who be the star of the game, receiver? and we're going to, like, our heads are going to explode. Who's what? Do you think that, do you think Nelson is going to start in the slot? Do you think he starts on the outside with Alshon probably being sidelined? Even if Alshon, uh, yeah, probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think he's going to be a start of the game because Wentz has improved and the, the, the first-team offense will have a good showing and Aguilar will be the feature and and he's going to be on the cover of the Daily News and he's going to be our savior and then we're going to get to week one and he's going to drop a pass over the middle that he could have taken 40 yards to the house. because I'm really sucks. excited for, uh, for Zach Ertz's breakout year. I think that Carson Wentz is going to really throw the ball a lot to him in the in the first quarter. I heard to, uh, this. Pick up where they left off at the end of the season. I'm I really just... excited. Just saw this this morning. I think 97.5 tweeted, actually, 610-632. Uh, Carson Wentz's DraftKings Week 1 value, I haven't independently confirmed this by Crossing Broad is not reporting this, but he's only $100 more than the Redskins' backup, which I forget who it is at the moment. That's uh, awesome. Which I Get your lineup set. Well, so here's the thing. There's, a, there's, a, there's an opportunity here for sure. I like... I like judging the league by DraftKings values. Um, it's First of all, it's a ton of fun. It's if you seriously get into DraftKings, like like playing and exploiting values is a hell of a lot of fun. But 
Wentz, there's a reason. Wentz was not a great fantasy quarterback at all last year, even early on. He had a couple of good weeks, but just the way the Eagles game plan was and how the horrible their offense was and the way Wentz sort of hit a wall midway through the season. So that's part of it. Like there's definitely, it's definitely baked in the prior performance. I do think there's an opportunity there early, especially if Alshon and such are healthy. And if that number stays, I don't know if they will tweak the numbers. I would assume they would. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't, don't overreact to a low DraftKings price because most times, um, most times, not all, DraftKings tends to be smarter. They do, however, I mean, they do base a lot on prior performance. And like your middle of the year, you can get some. When when a backup running back becomes a starter, you know, they may only add $500 to his price, but he may be the starter in a top 10 rushing offense. Like those are the opportunities you have to exploit and, and the good players exploit every week. So Maybe there's an opportunity there with Wentz, but I wouldn't overthink that because there there's definitely some data going into whatever his number is. Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, don't forget, leave a five-star review in iTunes. Um, tweet questions at Kyle, at Crossing Broad, at me, at Joy on Broad. Send your love and how much you missed at Adam Lefko on Twitter. And um, I don't know, Kyle, do you want to do you want to sign this this bad boy off? Uh, yep, we'll uh, see you on Friday. Talk about the uh, talk about the first preseason game.